Amen. Please rise as we hear the call of our Heavenly Father to leave the world behind and to enter into his presence. The call comes from Psalm 135. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise him, O you servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises to his name, for it is pleasant. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, let us do so. Let us praise the Lord, beginning with uh, 570. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And then um, uh, 224, immortal, invisible, God only wise. And then 224, immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light inaccessible, all hid from our eyes. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have called us to praise you. You've called us back from why, from the fall and why we are created, and that is to give glory to you. Adam and Eve failed to do so and sinned. And yet, through Jesus Christ, we are restored to righteousness and life. And you call us your children. You adopt us. 
You place your name upon us. We are yours. And so we pray that you would enable us to honor our Heavenly Father, to honor our Lord Jesus, to honor the Spirit, the triune God. Enable us, O Lord, to hear what you have to say to us through your word and by your Spirit. And also, um, we pray that you would guide our speech, our songs, our fellowship, our time together, that truly you would be glorified, that we would see Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Once again this morning we have opportunity to confess our sin, and we'll do that with a responsive reading found in your bulletin. Scripture reading is Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. I'll read the light type, if you could respond in the dark. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, as we read this passage, it's not fair. It's not fair that our Lord Jesus was wounded, bruised, chastened, and beaten, for he was without sin. And yet, you say, that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. You laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's not fair. Thank you for grace, for receiving what we don't deserve. Thank you for mercy for not receiving what we deserve. And so we do want to come and acknowledge our sin in order to acknowledge the greatness of his sacrifice on the cross. We don't want to minimize. We don't want to ignore. We understand that we have secret sins, sins that we don't even know about, as well as sins that, do, that we do know about. And so we want to, set, to confess them. We want to say, we want to agree with you what you already know about our sins, our iniquities, our transgressions. We don't want to hide them. And we understand also that in doing so, in sinning, we have offended you. For you are righteous, you are holy, you are perfect, you've revealed your will for us, and we've rebelled against it. And so we do confess our sins. We know that confession doesn't save us. We're just acknowledging 
our contribution to our condemnation for the wages of sin is death. And so we deserve death and separation from you. But again, we thank you for this uh, gospel presentation six, seven hundred years before the coming of Christ, explaining what the cross did for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came and you poured out your life, that you experienced anguish and death, anguish, pains, and death in our place, on the cross and before, and that through that we are delivered. And so we do thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love toward us. Greater love is no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. Thank you for laying down your life and for your death and your blood shed once for all for the remission of all our sins. And that we have your righteousness imputed to us. We receive it by faith alone. And so we can say before God, I am righteous in Christ before God and an heir of eternal life. So we thank you for the work. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for applying the work of Christ in our lives. We thank you for your word that says if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we look to you for that cleansing, for that robe, the beautiful robe of righteousness, so that when the Father looks at us, they see Jesus. We pray that you would enable us from our hearts to thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so let us do so. Uh, Arise, my soul, arise, shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice on my behalf appears. Uh, 275, let's stand and sing.
Is that the gospel? Is that a presentation of the gospel here? So we, we heard it in the liturgy, and we heard it, and we sang it in this hymn. Amen. Please be seated. So, if you'll again turn in that hymnal to page 852. Why is it important to confess your faith? Is there, is there anything in the Bible about, says, does God say anything about the importance of confessing your faith? Does G, did Jesus ever say something about, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before the Father? If you deny me before men, I will deny you before the Father? Does Paul write in Romans that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved? Is that a confession of faith? Jesus is Lord. Is that a short summary of what we're about to do? So is this important? Is it, oh, this is what we do. No, there's there's a purpose for it. Part of the purpose is for us to reorient our mind. Who are we dealing with here? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Who are we interacting with, if you will, throughout the week? So it's a time of renewal of our minds. And so let us together confess our faith and let's, let's engage our mind at what we're saying so that it's not just rote, but we're actually confessing what we believe. And so, beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, what is it you believe? I believe in one God. The Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried And the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. I was, I was talking to my wife, I think it was today or yesterday, and we were talking about a particular church that 
they say, we don't believe in any creed. Or some will say, no creed but Christ. Well, that's a creed. But the point is, is that if you talk to someone who says, well, we don't have any creeds, we just believe the Bible. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever had someone say that? I have. What do they do when you ask them, well, what does the Bible teach? Whatever comes out of their mouth is a creed. You understand that? So they said there's no creed but the Bible. Well, what does the Bible teach? As soon as they say that, they are creating a creed. It's just their creed rather than the creed or the confession of faith of the church. So creed is inescapable. If you believe in Jesus and you say that, you're saying a creed. Does that make sense? So uh, they, they say, oh, we don't, uh, we don't want a man-made creed, but then when you ask them, well, what do you believe? What, who are they? They're humans making a creed. So they're undermining their own argument. We just borrow from what the church has been confessing for 2,000 years. We're not smarter than they, are we? All right, we also have as one of the three forms of unity, again, our summary of what we believe the Bible to teach. We are working our way through the Canons of Dort. You should have that little half sheet there in, in front of you. Uh, last week, you, uh, you read Articles 1, 2, and 3. And now we are looking at Article 4 in the, bell, in, uh, in the fifth head of Doctrine. Um, it's called the perseverance of the saints, but we understand it's the perseverance of God for the saints. You see the emphasis. We persevere because God perseveres in and through and for us. That's what we're confessing. Okay? So the primary focus of this particular head of doctrine is the work of the Holy Spirit who does that work in us. So, let us confess together. Article 4, I'll read the light type, if you'll read the dark type. Although the weakness of the flesh cannot prevail against the power of God, who confirms and preserves true believers in a state of grace, yet converts are not always so influenced and actuated by the Spirit of God as not in some particular instances sinfully to deviate from the guidance of divine grace, so as to be seduced by and comply with the lusts of the flesh. They must, therefore, be constant in watching and prayer, that they may not be led into temptation." All right. So, as I said, we've been uh, focusing on, uh, we're focusing on this fifth head of doctrine. In the past, we looked at uh, the Father, God the Father, who calls according to his purpose. And then we looked at communion, the communion of his Son, 
our Lord Jesus Christ. And also, we began to look at the Holy Spirit, who is the one who regenerates us and delivers us from the domain of slavery to sin. And now, we're looking at the continuing work of the Holy Spirit, the war that we are facing. We're in a battle. Uh, Again, back in Article 2, it says, Daily sins of infirmity arise, and blemishes cleave unto the very best works of the saints. These are to them a perpetual reason to humble themselves before God, to flee for refuge to Christ, crucify uh, Christ crucified, to mortify the flesh more and more by the spirit of prayer and holy exercise of piety, and to press forward to the goal of perfection until at length delivered from this body of death, they shall reign with the Lamb of God in heaven. So did you hear that? What are we called to do? Humble ourselves. Is that what we did when we read the, the, the law? We should have, right? We looked at ourselves and we compared ourselves with the standard and we realized, oh, I've sinned again. I humble myself. Are, are we called to be humble people? Relying on him, not ourselves. Is that part of sin is relying on myself, looking to myself? I can do this. Humbling ourselves before God, fleeing for refuge to Christ crucified. There's, we did that too, didn't we? Do you do it daily? Do you confess your sins? Do you look to Christ? Do you see the cross at any point in your daily life? You should. Put off, put to death the old man, the flesh, and holy exercise of piety, he talks about. Walking in holiness and pressing forward in faith. So that's what they were talking about last week. Now we come to Article 4. How easy is it to be deceived? You know what? I've heard it been said that the, one of the most susceptible people to being deceived are deceivers. In particular, talking about used car salesmen, right? They are easily easily deceived, which is kind of interesting thought. But it is how easy we can be deceived. Even when we're holding to the truth, we can easily pervert it and turn and turn it into a cloak of wickedness. Can you do that? Can you take the grace of God and use it? To sin? Oh, I'm saved by grace alone, faith in that on myself and so on. So let us sin that grace may abound. Is that in the Bible? Let us sin that grace may abound. Is that in the Bible? No, but is it in the Bible? That's amen. Let us sin that grace may abound. Paul says it, quoting somebody else. And then what is his answer? May it never be. God forbid. But we do deal with it. Now here we begin the truth of God's sovereign and irresistible persevering grace. God's grace persevering. Again, one of the things that we need to remember is that grace is not just, okay, here I received it, and then God walks away, and I've got grace. Is there anybody, is there churches that teach that? That grace is a noun. It's something I get, and then I can drop. I can lose. 
Now, grace, yeah, there is, uh, grace is a noun, but it's also connected to what? The giver. Does the giver walk away from the grace that he gives? Or is he involved? What do you think? Is he involved? Does God leave us to figure it out on ourselves, or does he live with us, work with us? Grace is a verb. Grace, so that's why I like to say the perseverance of God for the saints. That's the point. Some have concluded, because it is true, believers will persevere in this life without any sin. Is that true? Has there ever been a a believer in Jesus Christ, once they've received Christ, they've never sinned? The person who says that have just did. Right? Scripture speaks about the war, and our, con- our statement there, our confession article 4, says that converts are not always so influenced and actuated by the Spirit of God as to not, in some particular instances, sinfully to deviate from the guidance of divine grace. Okay, that's a lot of words to say we still sin. Right? We aren't sin anymore. That's in Adam. If you're still in Adam, if you're not trusting in Christ alone for salvation, you are sin, you do sin, you need Jesus. Right? You need the gospel. But if you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're resting in him alone for salvation, you're a saint who sins. Is that what a saint does, should do? As a saint, a saint doesn't, shouldn't sin. When we sin, we're acting contrary to who we are. Okay? That's why we have to deal with it. We fight against sin and the devil in this life, Catechism Question 32 says. So what do we see here in God's solution? Look at that notice at the very end of the leader section. They must therefore be constant in watching and prayer that they may not be led into temptation. What does it mean to watch? It means to be on your guard. Are you on your guard concerning your besetting sins? We all have them. There are certain sins that we fall into. How about pride? I think we all fall into that one. I can do that. I know that that's a besetting sin with me. That's why I'm saying it. But is it yours? I can do it. I want to do it. I, I. Right? We have to be on, on our guard. The devil deceived Eve, but Adam was called to guard the garden. And his wife, how'd he do? Failed. He was not on his guard. He should have rebuked that serpent. Serpents don't talk. What are you doing talking? Who are you? What are you doing? Get out of here. Did he do that? No, he's passive. We have to be watchful. As a matter of fact, (laughs) uh, I'm getting ready. On Friday, I'll be exhorting or charging David Wojtek with his call to be a pastor. 
and my just for you that aren't going to be listening, my sermon, uh, my charge is watch and pray. What does it say here? They must therefore be constant in watching and praying. I didn't, I didn't take it from there, but is that important? Watch. Watch out, watch out prayer. Help, Lord. Right? Finally, there's a warning here. A pastoral concern. When watching and praying is neglected, we're not only liable to be drawn into great and heinous sins by the flesh, the world, and the devil, but sometimes God allows us to do that. And he says, and it says, well, think about David. David, a man after God's own heart, did he crash and burn more than once, big time? Adultery, murder, disobeying God, counting the people when God said not to and many died. Plague came. You could go through. David is a man after God's own heart, and he crashed and burned. What about Peter? Peter ever blow it? Be it Peter ever sin? Oh, I'm not going to deny you, Lord. They're all going to leave you, but not me. How many times did the cock crow? Did the rooster crow? Three times. Or the co- no, he denied him three times, and the cock crew. And he went out and wept bitterly, and Jesus had to restore him. Are you stronger than David, than Peter, than the saints of all? In yourself, no. In Christ, is Christ strong? Can Christ deliver? Is the Spirit almighty? Abel. So we need to be on our guard. Watch and pray. Peter says it this way. Take heed how you stand, lest you fall from your own steadfastness. And Peter's speaking from first-hand experience, isn't he? No, it is God who perseveres for uh, for the saints, but yet he calls us to persevere. Watch and pray. Amen? Amen. All right, let us go ahead and prepare for the sermon this morning. And that is uh, by singing, first of all, about the grace of God, the benefits divine. And that is 426. How vast the benefits divine. 426. Let's Benefits divine which we in Christ possess. We are redeemed from sin and shame and called to holiness. Did not for works that we have done, these all to him we owe. But he of his electing love salvation doth bestow to thee O Lord alone is due all glory and renown 
unto ourselves we dare not take or rob thee of thy crown thou wast thyself our surety in god's redemption plan in thee his grace was given us long ere the world began safe in the arms of sovereign love we ever shall remain nor shall the rage of earth or hell make thy sure counsel vain not one of all the chosen race but shall to heaven attain here they will share a bounding grace and there with jesus reign amen please be seated and turn in your bibles to um, we're back in the book of ephesians or the letter of paul to the ephesian church the saints in christ jesus and to us Ephesians chapter 2, our, our, our text this morning is verse 10, but we'll go ahead and read verses 1 through 10 to set context. Hear now the word of God. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That purpose, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The grass withers, the flower falls, but God's word abides forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do come before you, and we thank you, Lord, for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for your work in us. Through Jesus Christ and the application and work of the Holy Spirit, you are changing us and molding us and shaping us into that glorious masterpiece 
We pray that you would enable us to appreciate what you have done, are doing, and will do. Help us, Lord, to grasp, to understand the heights and the depths and the breadth of your love and the outworking of that love in perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edification of the body of Christ, so we all would come to maturity and that you would be glorified. So we pray your blessing upon our time now as we look at this verse in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, what are the greatest works of art? When you think of a work of art, when you think of a masterpiece, or if you, when you think of, if you uh, know the Latin, the uh, magnum opus, the greatest work of an artist, what, are, what, what do you think of? Do you think of paintings? Do you think of sculptures? Do you think of architecture? Do you think of music? Do you think of technology? What are the greatest works of art today? We're going to be looking at that today. Back in the day, a long time ago, in the ancient Near Eastern world, there was what were called the seven great wonders of the world. You ever heard of that? The seven great wonders of the world? How many of them are still standing? Only one, and it's in ruins. Those great works of men perished. But the greatest work of God continues. And that work of art is you and me. That's what Paul is saying here in our text. God is working with us individually, making us into the image of God more and more, as Paul says, changing us from glory to glory into the image of Christ, but also as a body. That's the point of the sermon. So if you look at the, the outline, as you take in the expansive beauty of creation, you behold the magnificent wisdom and power of God the master artist, from his painting with light. You ever done that? You ever gone outside and just watched the sunset and just watched all the colors? And as you stand there, the colors change. You ever notice that? Off the clouds. And it goes from one color to another, and it's just magnificent. It's beautiful. That's God painting with light on a canvas of clouds. Do it sometime. From that painting with light, and he also paints with life. Think of creatures, great and small. God made them all. God created life. To the marvelous interconnected workings of each living being, to the vast galaxies, and as the, uh, as, as the songwriter said, the music of the spheres, God has revealed himself in ways to, uh, too overwhelming to describe. Paul says that the invisible things of God are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. 
so that we are without an excuse. The psalmist, Psalm uh, David, says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The earth shows forth his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech. Night unto night reveals knowledge. There's nowhere where God isn't revealed. I had a conversation recently with an atheist, a person that claimed to be an atheist. And in my mind, I said, you're not an atheist, you're a liar. I didn't say that. I was tactful. Uh, but isn't that true? Does the Bible say the fool says in their, in their heart there is no God? We know we see God and his revelation of his glorious work all around us, even within our own bodies. Remember, we read Psalm 139. What does he say? We are fearfully and wonderfully made. If you, if you, ever want, if you want to read an interesting book, there's a book with that title, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. It was written by a doctor who was working with leprosy patients, and he, was, and he talks about the nerves, the, the nerve cells, and how wonderful they are. They cause pain. Oh, wait a second. It's wonderful that your nerve cell causes pain? And the answer is yes. Is then you pull your hand away from the thing that's causing you pain. What does a leper do? What happens with leprosy is you don't feel pain. The nerve cell fails. It no longer uh, communicates that there's a problem. You stick your hand into a fire and you don't feel anything. What happens to your hand? It gets destroyed. There's a blessing for being able to feel pain. Even though if some of us say, well, we wish, Lord, you dial it down a bit. But still, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Our cells, uh, do you know how many cells in your body died from the time you walked in the door till now? You ever thought about that? Thousands of cells have ceased to live since you walked through the door here. But we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Guess what? Your body reproduces them. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. God has revealed himself in ways too overwhelming to describe. We are his greatest work of art. And through Jesus Christ, we have been redeemed from the awful effects of sin, restored to usefulness in his hand, and called to live according to who we are in Christ. Okay. So we're going to be looking at that today, as Paul says. We are his workmanship. So we're a work of art. What is art? How do you define art? Art is when I, know, when I see it. Some people have said, I know a work of art when I see it. What is it? What is art? Aristotle said, art is the capacity to make things. That's pretty simple. I like that, that statement. Art is the capacity to make things, to make, to create. Edwards, Jonathan Edwards, speaks about God. God is the foundation and the fountain of all being and all beauty. God makes things. And the amazing thing is 
that we are creating the image of God, we can make things and we can enjoy them. We can appreciate something that's made well. God saw that it was good. God created and then he evaluated and he saw it was good. And he's given us that ability. We can do things and we can say, wow, that is really good. Or, well, I need to throw that away and start over. You ever had that happen? You're making something and it just fails and you throw it away and you have to start over? You have the ability to understand. That's part of that work of art, the idea of a masterpiece. Making something and then appreciating it. So my first point, we are his work of art. We're his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. Have you ever thought of yourself as a revelation? Your body, your soul, your person is a revelation of the master craftsman, the master artist, the greatest artist. So Paul has been doing that in a book. If we go back to chapter 1, verses, uh, chap, uh, verse 3, what does he say? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, in love predestined us. So there we see the work of the Father, the choosing of the Father, the predestination of the Father, whom he foreknows he also calls, whom he foreloves. And so the work of, of uh, this masterpiece began in eternity. You understand that? That's what Paul is saying. This was pla- you were planned out from eternity. The Father determined, loved you, chose you before you ever existed. He has a plan for you, a purpose for you, to be that masterpiece. And then we go into verses uh, all the way through verse 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 9, 11, 10, 11, and 13, through that whole section there focusing on Jesus and the redemption in Christ. That Christ is working, worked, and is working. Verse 7 in particular, notice that one. In Christ, in him, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. You're precious in his sight. How precious are you? Paul says Jesus poured out his life, his blood, his sufferings, his death in your place. He's doing that work. And also then we saw in, later on in verses 12 and 13 the work of the Holy Spirit who is, com- is completing. He is personally involved, he indwells, and he is the seal, a permanency. He is the one who's making us into the image or into the art, work of art, that he has intended from eternity. So in many ways, the Holy Spirit is that shaper, that molder of us. We're the clay and he's the potter. He takes the work of Christ as guided by the Father and he applies it. So is the Holy Spirit working today? 
on you. If you're listening, yes, he is. He's shaping and molding us after Christ, changing us from glory to glory into the image of Christ. So this is his work of our created in Christ Jesus. And let's stop and think a little bit more about the uniqueness of his work. When we go all the way back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2, if you wanted to summarize it, uh, and I think I've said this before, put it into two words, we are uniquely created. Mankind is unique, right? We're different than the animals. We're different than the plants. We're different than the ground. We're different than the stars. We're different than anything else in all of creation. Why? Because God said when he wanted to create man and woman, he said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So when you look and see another human being, you're seeing the image of God. You're seeing something reflected from them. Whether they're regenerate or not, whether they're born again or not, still the image of God is specially placed on man. We are uniquely created in the image of God. We are his high art. We are the heart, the art that you don't mess with. Um, we're going to talk about folk art in a minute or the things that we make that are art in that sense. But we were created for God's pleasure. That's why you exist, for God's pleasure. We are uniquely created. What's the difference between the animals, most of the animals, and you when it comes to your head and your neck? Where do most animals' head is oriented? Is it up? Is it straight on? Or is it down? Think of cows. Think of horses. Think of sheep. Think of dogs. Where is their orientation of their head normally? It's down. God created us upright. We look out. We look up. Is there a difference there? It's one of many differences. We are uniquely created, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Chapter 2 in particular, God formed us, Adam, from the ground. He spoke... The animals, the birds, the fish. But it says there in Genesis 2, he formed Adam like a potter takes clay, shapes and molds him, breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. He was involved intimately. And then he takes and creates woman, forms her, breathes into her Uniquely created. He's created us upright. That not only physically, but also Adam and Eve, were they holy? Were they, were they righteous before they fell? <laughs> yes. But unfortunately, Genesis 3, and again, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, we are also not only uniquely created, but deeply fallen. As Paul says, we are dead, separated from God, separated from life. 
And unless God intervenes, separated eternally. We refer to it as total depravity, total inability, the need for grace, right? And so, God brings the gospel and grants unto us true faith. Do you have it? Are you trusting in Christ alone for salvation? Is he the only way to God? Has he accomplished that for you? Have you, do you confess Jesus as your Savior and your Lord? So we are deeply fallen in Adam, greatly restored in Christ. Isn't that what Paul is saying in our text, starting in verse 4? On the contrary, God has made us a new creature. He's making us, you hear that? He made us, we've fallen, and now he's making us. Look at that verse again, go back. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Being born again, being regenerated is being brought back to life. We were a a dead zombie walking around animated but separated. And God takes that zombie and brings it back to life. I don't know if you've ever seen, there's there's a movie that talks about zombies that stop being zombies. I don't know if you've ever, I can't remember the title, but it's a fascinating one. Isn't that what God did to you? You were a zombie? You were a walking dead. And God, in his mercy, took you from being a walking dead person to be made alive in Christ. What a wonderful work that was, right? Does God still raise the dead today? Yes, I'm an example of it. So are you if you believe in Jesus. We are a new creature in Christ. Old things, all things that pass away, behold, all things are new. Not only did he make us alive, he says, but he raised us up, he made us to, and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. We're there, positionally in Christ, and we look forward to the completing. In other words, we're greatly restored. The new creation has broken into time. We're greatly restored. That's one of the greatest weak, uh, uniqueness of his work of art. And so now, what are we called to do? Let's go back to our text. For we are his masterpiece, his work of art, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So what is your purpose? He's working in you in order for you to work, to do, to make. In other words, we are called to be artists. Part of our work of artness is that we are called, in creating the image of God, we are called to be artists. Now, some of you are going to say, well, I don't have any artistic ability at all. There's not an artistic bone in my body. 
right? Do you, are some of you feel that way? I, I've heard people say that. Well, I, 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 yeah, you ask me, try to draw something. I can draw a person, I draw a stick figure. I, I don't have the ability to draw like my, some of my children do. But we are a work of art created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And he goes on to say, what? Which God prepared beforehand that we should conduct our life in them. Okay, so what we have here in our text, number one, we are chosen by God to good works. He has prepared beforehand He's given us a purpose. You have a purpose here on earth. Okay. You may not know what it is. You may be questioning what it is. Why am I here? What is my purpose? But it says here that God before creation not only purposed your existence, purpose your redemption, but also purpose to use you to create you as a masterpiece that, that creates masterpieces. Ever thought of yourself as that was a masterpiece? It's the it's the work of the master. It's a work of art. He is working through his work of art. First of all, he has given us a purpose, and there it says, "Good works." Again, notice he has created us anew for good works. He has called us to be artists. One author writes it this way. God gave man the capacity to make things. True? God gave man the capacity to vision and, and then do, make something. Right? Every occupation, therefore, involves art. And an interesting thought. Every occupation involves art, either to produce or to service what's produced. So are you an artist? If you are created in Christ Jesus, if you, in the created image of God, uh, he writes, the author of death writes, creativity is the essence of, of the human capacity. So stop and think about that. What is it that you, that you create? Well, have you ever written anything? Have you written a paragraph? Did the paragraph exist before you wrote it? No. Is that art? Producing something, making something that didn't exist, shaping and molding. If you stop and think about it, we're working all, we're art, endeavoring artistic endeavors all the time. Never thought of that, did you? Last week, we ran into a couple in Fargo when we were visiting our son on our way to Watertown, and I was talking to this one fellow. He lives in Portland, and he is designing software to be able to help people. Uh, build websites or something, marketing of some sort. And I said to him, do you know that that's his, oh, and his uh, wife, fiance, whatever she was, uh, was an artist. And I said, do you know that you're an artist? And he goes, what do you mean? 
I said, you're creating a computer, you're taking computer software and you're making something to help people. That is a piece of art. You're an artist as well as your wife. And he went, wow, I never thought of my job as a computer programmer or whatever as an artist. What about children, raising children? Is that a form of artwork? Training them, molding them, shaping them. What about working on oil rigs or repairing things or putting fires out? Or is that all artistic endeavor? Making or servicing something made. The way that Paul says it here is good works. Things, work that is good. The things that we do. So the catechism in questions 88, 89, 90, and 91 talk about what is true repentance or conversion, the dying of the old man and the making alive of the new, putting off the old man, Heartfelt sorrow for sin, putting on the new man, heartfelt joy in God through Christ, causing us to take the light and living according to the will of God in all good works. Okay? We're created in Christ Jesus unto good works. What are good works? Those only which proceed from true faith are done according to the law of God unto his glory and not such as rest in our own opinion or the commandments of men. Can, we do a, can you do a good work according to God? Yes, it's possible. Now, how many of our works are tainted with sin? Probably most of them. But even those, God cleanses. We are cre- created anew to be artists. How are we to do that? Notice our text which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We should live, conduct our life in them. He will go on, starting in chapter 4, verse 1, through chapter 6, to describe ways of doing so. Chapters 4 through 6 talk about ways to say thank you for what God is doing. We'll get to that later on. So what what should be our response Wow. How's that? Wow. What a privilege. I'm created in Christ Jesus. I'm his masterwork. The angels are in awe of God because of what he's doing in you. They rejoice to see the work of God in you. And those works that we are called to do, they have lasting value. Paul speaks about them passing through the fire. Some are made of gold, silver. Some are made of wood, hay, and stubble. What happens to wood, hay, and stubble when it goes through the fire? Gone. What about gold? Does gold survive fire? Yes. Silver? Yes. Our works go through fire for the glory of God. Kuiper... Abraham Kuyper said it this way. 
Scripture tells us that people are created in the image of God. This means, among, among thing, other things, that they have the ability to make something beautiful and to delight in it. This is the biblical aesthetic. Thus, when we enjoy the beauty of a sonnet or the magnificent artistry of an epic or the fictional inventiveness of a novel, we are enjoying a quality of which God is the ultimate source in performing an act similar to God's enjoyment of the beauty of his own creation. So, can you enjoy good music? Can you enjoy music that the artist creates? Yeah, because in doing so, we're, we're beholding the beauty of God, working through that instrument, that work of art, to create a work of art. Are we aware? Do we rejoice? Do we rejoice that we are his workmanship, his work of art? Do we go about saying, okay, since I'm a work of art, I'm an instrument in his hands to glorify him, I work hard, I do what I'm called to do, I seek the Lord and his grace and his strength, and what I'm doing is a work of art, my masterpiece. My life. One author wrote it this way. What God chooses, he cleanses. What God cleanses, he molds. What God molds, he fills. What God fills, he uses. I think this is important for us to understand. There's one uh, music, musician, I think he was dealing with his daughter, teenage daughter. You've probably heard the song, maybe you haven't. The title of the song is Fingerprints of God. Ever heard it? No, doesn't ring a bell? Okay. Oldie moldy stuff. Here's what he says in the song. He's singing to, I think it's his teenage daughter. I can see the tears filling your eyes. And I know where they're coming from. They're coming from a heart that's broken in two by what you don't see. The person in the mirror doesn't look like a magazine. Oh, but when I look at you, it's clear to me that I can see the fingerprints of God. When I look at you, I can see the fingerprints of God. And I know it's true. You're a masterpiece that all creation quietly applauds. And you're covered with the fingerprints of God. Never has there been and never again will there be another you fashioned by God's hand and perfectly planned to be just who you are. And what he's been creating since the first beat of your heart is a living, breathing, priceless work of art. I can see the fingerprints of God when I look at you. I can see the fingerprints of God, and I know it's true. You're a masterpiece that all creation quietly applauds, and you're covered with the fingerprints of God. Just look at you. 
You're a wonder in the making. Oh, and God's not through. In fact, he's just getting started. Isn't that a great advice of a father to a, a daughter? How about our Heavenly Father to you and to me? The fingerprints of God molding and shaping us to be his work of art. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, we thank you for a reminder that we have purpose. You've created us in Christ Jesus for good works, to be both a reflection of your work and also an instrument through which you work in others. Enable us, O Lord, to be aware of, be submitted to, to rejoice in your work, And we pray that you grant us the grace that we may truly put off the old man, put on the new, that our works, whatever they are, whatever our callings are, whatever our uh, opportunities to serve you, that we would be instruments bringing glory to you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us respond to God's word by giving of his tithes and our offerings. Father in heaven, we do come before you and we lay before you these, this response of our tithes and offerings, acknowledging that they come from you, all ability comes from you, and the, the profit, the, uh, the success in our labors that are represented by these tithes and offerings are yours. We give back to you, and we pray for wisdom and guidance in the use of them for your glory's sake, and we pray that you'd again help us to glorify you with the rest, with time that you've given to us, with resources, with life, with relationships with others, in the various ways that you've established, uh, things you've established around us, and you mold and shape us. Help us, Lord, also to mold and shape what you've given us for your glory's sake. So we do ask, O Lord, for your provision. We ask, O Lord, for those uh, in our midst that are struggling with a physical affliction or discouragement, um, loss, losses and crosses. We pray, O oh Lord, for grace and help. We thank you that you are the one who perseveres. We pray that you do so in our lives. We know that you are working in us. Be glorified, we pray. We do lift up to you the many needs that are listed in the bulletin, and we ask, O oh Lord, that you would intervene, answer, and do according to your purpose according to your will, for your glory. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name, and we pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So if you'll take up your hymnal for our closing hymn. Psalm 138. been talking about the work you have for me begun shall by your grace be fully done your mercy shall forever be O lord my maker think on me Amen. receive now god's blessing and benediction finally brethren farewell be complete be of good comfort, be of one mind, 
Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.